morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. I am so glad that you're here. You know, we have some amazing, wonderful problems at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Some, sometimes, like every church, not so wonderful, but the best problem we have right now is that we're, we don't have space, you know, and we're dealing with that issue right now. And so every once in a while, we may have to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, would you mind squeezing that middle <laughs> and squeezing in so we can make room for some folks coming in and um, that's a wonderful problem, right? We're glad to have that, but we just want you to know as a church, we are diligently looking towards that future to see, well, God, where are you going to send us? Because, I mean, we could all, yeah, yeah, I, I can go on a diet and I can make a little room, but that's not going to help us too much. You know what I'm saying? So we just thank you for helping us fit in people because you know what? This is, lives are important, and that's why we are here, because God has sent us as a church, you and me, all of us together, to love our friends around us. And so we're grateful that you have joined us in that, and now we've joined so much in that process that we, we are squeezed in here tight. So just know this, every life matters, right? I uh, am glad that you're here today. We have uh, uh, a good day. We've been thinking about this series for quite a while, and we've got some information we want to share with you. But before we do, let me tell you a little bit about myself. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Harley. I'm the lead pastor at Stuttgart Harvest Church. And so I just want to tell you, I, I'm just a normal person, just like you. I, I mean, granted, I don't look normal. I, I do understand that. But I am normal. I'm just a normal person, and I want to introduce you to the voice that's inside my head. His name is also Harley. And here's what Harley tells Harley. He says, you know what, Harley, you are not good enough. You don't measure up. Harley, inside of Harley's head, says, look at those people over there. They're so much better than you. They have it together. They are talented. And so I can summarize what, what I tell myself. I can summarize it with the phrase, you suck. You suck, Harley. You just suck. And I hear that a lot. And the longer I hear it, you know what? The more I believe it. That's just kind of the way it works. The longer I hear it, the more I believe it. And there's times I want to stop myself from going down that destructive thinking path and sometimes it just seems like I didn't know how to stop it, but no matter how good something was, that voice would always kind of pop in and just keep beating me down. Maybe you can relate to that, or maybe not. Maybe you, maybe you have struggled with some other kind of problem in your life. And sometimes, maybe sometimes that problem that you have dealt with has become your pet. And maybe you keep it close. And maybe you know it, you know that problem. And even though it's harmful and destructive, it has become familiar to you. And maybe you understand, you know what, I don't, that problem doesn't need to be a part of my life, but it is. And maybe that abnormality of that problem has become your normal. And maybe, just maybe, you have embraced it and you have hung on to it. Or maybe you've allowed it or become comfortable with it hanging on to you. Now, we're going to jump into Scripture and see what Jesus has to say and how he can help us and point us maybe in a direction today. But to kind of tell you what's happening in this story, this is a narrative, it's a real story of what really happened. 
That's a biographical description here. And in this, this is the same area of the country where John tells us where Jesus did his first miracle, which was turning water into wine. And now he's back in this same area, the same geography, and he has just healed uh, a boy who was dying. And that's where we then pick up this story, John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish holy days. And more than likely, this was the Passover they were celebrating. Verse 2, inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now, we listened to that and we're like, I have no idea where that is. But the people who were originally reading this, they knew exactly where that was because that was... A description. It's like us saying, yeah, you go down to Highway 79 here, turn by the Red Barn. And we're like, oh, you mean the Katie Chase? Yeah, yeah, we know where that is. So that's them giving a physical description, and they all knew, oh, yeah, I know exactly. The Sheep Gate, yeah, yeah, that's the place where the Pool of Bethesda is, those five covered, covered porches. They knew exactly where he was talking about. Verse 3, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, they lay on the porches. This was a crowded place, lots of people. It was full of sickness. And a lot of times when we ha are, have sickness, when things are happening, or maybe not even talking about physical things, but just sometimes when life is going wrong and the wills have come off, sometimes we begin to have kind of some sick thinking. You know, we begin to not really see things clearly sometimes. You know, sometimes we just kind of perceive things the way we think that they are. Um, when our life is hurting, maybe decisions we have made, maybe or we're just maybe just swamped by problems that are just kind of finding them way, their way to ourselves. Sometimes we begin listening to the people around us. And in this scenario, this guy's, you know, it's covered, this place is covered with pe folks who are hurting, folks who, in this case, were physically sick. And in our lives, we find ourselves, if we are hurting, sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by some hurting people, maybe some folks who are not making some really wise decisions in their life, maybe. And for some reason, we have a tendency to begin to listen to them. We have a tendency to listen to their reasoning and listen to their excuses or their thoughts or their beliefs. And then, you know, a, a strange thing happens. Then what happens, it's kind of like the blind leading the blind. We have a tendency when we are hurting, if we have made some bad decisions, some decisions that were not wise, we have a tendency to listen to other people who are not making wise decisions. I'm not sure why that is. We just, as humans, we have that tendency. These folks who were gathered around this pool, they believed that this water was going to heal them. They believed what they had been told. Not really, they weren't really believing this because they saw this happening. They saw the power. They saw the healing they were just kind of told that if this water bubbles up, it's an angel passing through the water, and the next, the first one in the water will be healed. They didn't really see that happen, but they believed that this is what would happen. They believed in this water when God himself in this moment, in this story, was standing 
among them, beside them. But they were believing in the water. They substituted trust in this folklore, in this tradition, in this myth, and you could say even in this day and time for them, their urban legend. They trusted that this created pool of water could do something for them more than they trusted that their relationship with their creator could do something for them. Now, before we get too judgmental, uh, before we get too harsh with them, let's peek into our lives. And let me invite you to peek into your life. When we feel stressed, sometimes we eat instead of talking to God. When we get upset by something, sometimes we go buy something instead of seeking God. When we are down, sometimes we close off the world and we just want to sleep the day away instead of trusting God. When we are hurting, sometimes we self-medicate instead of pursuing God. When we don't feel wanted, sometimes we pursue physical relationships with somebody so we can just feel loved. We have this same tendency to look all over God's creation for something to make us feel whole, to make us feel complete, to make us feel normal, and it seems like we are no different than these folks. It seems like God is our last resort. After we have trusted everything around us first, then maybe we'll go try God. And listen, I'm the same way. We all have this tendency. Next verse, verse 5, John chapter 5. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. Now, this is interesting because it seems like the longer a problem in our life persists, the more discouraged we become. The longer that problem hangs on, this guy was sick for 38 years. How discouraging. The longer that we have a problem, the more discouraged we become. maybe, Maybe you have lived with an addiction for years and years and years. Maybe you have been in a bad marriage or bad relationship for years and years and years. Maybe you've had a health issue for years. Maybe you've, you've struggled with a problem for years and years and you've tried to make it better. And you say, but I just can't seem to change because it's not getting better. And I keep trying, but I keep failing over and over and over. And finally, maybe you just say, that's just who I am. I'm just always going to have that problem. I'm always going to be this, fill in the blank. I'm always going to have bad relationships, or I'm always going to be an addict. I'm always going to struggle with this. That's just it. I've tried to change. I've tried to tackle this. I just keep failing. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him, he knew that he had been ill for a long time. And just to note, Jesus, the Bible tells us, is completely God. 
He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. The Bible says the word Jesus became flesh and came down here to live among us. God himself. And he came as Jesus for a very specific purpose and a very specific person. And that being you and that being me. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time. He's God. He knows. He asked him, would you like to get well? We're going to focus on this question this morning. Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? It's almost as if he's saying, listen, sincerely, bro, really, for real, honestly, do you really want to get well? Sometimes. Sometimes we have a problem, our life is hurting, maybe it's relational, maybe tough things we've been going through, problems of any kind, any kind at all. And maybe you have a friend that just really just wants to tell you about their problem and they just want to talk about it and they want to talk about it, but to stop and do something, no, no, they just want to tell you about it. And it's almost as if you say, listen, do do you really want to get well? You know, for all of us, when we have something that we're hanging on to, or something that we're allowing to hang on to us, there's some kind of payoff for not having it all together. There's some kind of payoff we get for hanging on to that problem or for allowing that problem to hang on to us. Some kind of payoff. For some of us, we we get pity from other people. And we want that pity. And as much as that problem hurts us and as much as that problem hinders us and the other people around us, maybe, maybe the payoff of the attention is what we really want. Maybe if we say just the right thing on Facebook, we know that we will get tons of support and encouragement and comments. And so we kind of hang on to that problem sometimes or allow that problem to hang on to us because we know we get a payoff. Maybe it's a series of text messages There's some kind of payoff that we receive for every problem that we allow to stay in our lives. Maybe somehow that payoff is that something makes us feel better or something makes us feel loved or something makes us feel normal or something makes us forget And so we hang on to that because some kind of payoff that we want is around the corner, even though the problem may be drowning us. Sometimes we find ourselves spiritually sick. We don't want to be separated from God, but we don't want to do anything about it because there's some kind of payoff in that problem sometimes. And you know, God expects something. 
if we're laying around in that problem, comfortable with that problem, do you realize that God actually expects us to do something? He doesn't want us just to lay around in that sick thinking. He commands us in Scripture, in the New Testament, He commands us to pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. But so often we would rather follow our own desires and, well, I'll do the God thing. I'll do the God thing later. Or maybe we just say to our friends, I I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? And we survey many, many, many of our friends. And it sounds like we're looking for advice. But you know, frequently what we're really looking for, we're asking so many different people because we're trying to find someone who will say, yes, you should do this. And that's, guess what? That's what I want to do. So I'm trying to find someone who will say that's what you need to do. And it may not be the wise thing to do. It may not be the right thing or the good thing to do. But that's what I want to do. So I need to find someone who will tell me, hey, that's what you should do. And I think Jesus looks at us and he says, listen, do you really, really, do you really want to get well? Verse 7, here's what the guy says to Jesus. I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Do you know, the longer a problem persists in my life, the more excuses I make. I mean, the longer it's there, the more excuses I make. Do you know the crazy thing about excuses? There's always another one behind it. I mean, think about it this way. If there's an obstacle in your life, we can figure out a way to get around it, to get over it, to get under it, to get through it. We can help you with an obstacle. It's true. But we can never help someone with an excuse because there's always an excuse right behind it. Another one. If we treat your excuses like an obstacle, we can help you get around it. But guess what you present us with as soon as we get around it or offer a way around it? Guess what's behind it? Another excuse. And they're never ending. And no one ever gets helped through an excuse, ever. Because there's always another one waiting. Isn't that weird? We can never get through an excuse, but we can get around an obstacle. And here the guy says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water's stirred, somebody runs by me. Is that an obstacle or an excuse? Because listen, if it's an obstacle, you can't walk. Okay, then roll into the water, scoot into the water, inchworm into the water. But we have our own excuses. My husband, my husband just won't change. Or I I can't get a better job. I don't have a degree. I don't have time to exercise. Have you seen my schedule? I've tried counseling. Doesn't work. He was an idiot. I've tried that medication. I can't do the diet. 
I love the McDouble. <laughs> if they'll quit raising the price. The longer a problem persists, the more excuses that we tend to have. The longer a problem persists, you know what also? The more I learn to kind of compensate for that problem. That's why we can exist in a dysfunctional marriage. That's why we can manage an addiction to pornography. Because we compensate for it. That's why we get the term functional alcoholic. That's why we have a tendency to live beyond our means and find a way to get some of the bills paid so that we can continue to do that. We may not like the circumstances we find ourselves in, but we get used to those circumstances and we manage them and we still function. Listen to this phrase. Don't let this phrase escape you. Listen to this. I'm going to use the word you, but please understand, the word you includes me, your pastor. You cannot change what you are willing to tolerate, ever. If you're willing to tolerate it, if you're willing to compensate for it, if you're willing to manage it, you cannot and will not change it. You cannot change what you are willing to tolerate. So for you in your life, what's, what's the biggest hindrance? Sometimes we have fear. Sometimes we have worry or doubt. But we can kind of get cozy with these things we struggle with and they become comfortable and we learn to function with them. And sometimes the biggest enemy in our lives is us just getting comfortable with the problems that are there and getting cozy with them and used to them. And we begin to accept what is in our life instead of being free to think what could be. We just accept what is. He said, I, I have always been unable to walk. We say, I've always struggled financially. I've always been an average student. I've always dated the wrong type. I've always had bad relationships. I've always been an addict. I've always had spiritual doubts. Why bother? It takes a big step of faith for us to walk away from those problems that have become so familiar for us and that sick thinking that we have lived with for so long, it takes a lot of faith to begin to step away from that. Maybe that's one reason why Jesus asked this man, do you really, do you, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Because you see, Jesus knows you, you can't help someone who needs help. You can only help someone who wants help. You want to get out of debt? No, maybe not. Because sometimes shopping is a drug of choice. 
You want to get free from addiction? Well, possibly not, because sometimes there's comfort in those chains. And sometimes those very things that take us down at times, also those chains can lift us up as well. And we like sometimes those chains. You have a problem with your anger, with your temper? You want help? Well, maybe not, because it sure is a good way to control people. Like me, you want to lose weight? I don't know. I also like chicken McNuggets. Mmm. 20 for $5. It's a good deal. You get dipping sauce, too. I can eat them and drive. Sometimes we want spiritual healing. I'm going to ask Danielle to make her way to the front here. Sometimes we want spiritual healing, but it is not going to begin until our desire to be free is bigger than our spiritual disability. Woo, scared me. So, I've invited my friend Danielle to share with us and... I'm just thankful that she is willing to share part of her story. And it is a story that's in progress. And she's going to share part of her story with you this morning. So she's already shared with about 100 of her closest friends this morning at 930. And she's going to do it again with about 125 of her other closest friends right now. So Danielle, thank you for being willing to be transparent and share with us. So here we go. Hi, my name is Danielle Sharon Connection Duncan, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who has struggled with lying, cheating, stealing, drugs, and alcohol. Basically, I've just struggled with life. I was born on September 19, 1985 in Jonesboro, Arkansas to my mother Sharon and my father Kevin. I have a brother David who is six years older than me and a sister Devin who is three years older than me. Yes, I'm the baby. Not long after I was born, my mother's brother Billy Jean was killed in a car accident. Then my father's brother Kurt Connection was killed in a car accident. Then my mother's parents got a divorce after 34 years of marriage. My baby years were filled with very difficult times and grief. I do not remember any of this, however, and from what I can remember were good times as a family. I had two hardworking parents and a good Christian family that attended Holy Rosary Catholic Church. I do remember my father's excessive drinking and the occasional fights between my parents with yelling and even food being thrown around the kitchen. At the age of eight, my parents divorced. It was hard considering I was a daddy's girl, but life went on. I went to Clary Elementary where my mom was my principal. I was very intelligent, but I got away with a lot. When I got to Mika's middle school, things changed without my mother around. I got into a lot of trouble and struggled to fit in because I was bigger than most of my friends. I was taken to a doctor and a psychologist and was prescribed Adderall. It helped me with my behavior and also helped me lose weight. I had difficulties going to sleep, so I would sneak out at night and drink alcohol to help me get tired. I also began smoking cigarettes, smoking weed, and even having sex. I had a four-wheeler accident in the neighborhood hangout spot where there was dirt mounds and hills and I hurt my back real bad. I told my mother, but it was years later that I found out I actually had spondylolisthesis and a fractured L5. I was the only child at home, so I got a hardship and a car at an early age and started hanging out with the wrong crowd. I started using crystal meth, ecstasy, and pain pills regularly. I met a man who taught me how to manufacture and sell methamphetamines and how to steal things like four-wheelers, trucks, and even heavy expensive equipment. I managed to live a double life and did very good in school. 
I played basketball, tennis, and was a cheerleader. I was also a member of the medical professions because my childhood dream was to be an anesthesiologist. I had several good jobs during high school until I got caught with drugs and sent to juvenile detention center. I also got two DWIs before I was 21. I have been to several different rehab programs, Pinnacle Point, Bridgeway, and Horizons, just to name a few. Romans 1, 21 through 22 says, for although, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thanking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. I made a 28 on my ACT my first try and graduated high school. I moved to Little Rock and attended Pulaski Tech. I waitressed and bartended and made good money, but I failed to pay bills or even go to class. I continued to live the party lifestyle, drinking and using drugs. I also continued to manufacture meth and was caught stealing pseudoephedrine pills and sent to Pulaski County Jail for a year. I moved back to Stuttgart and started dating Tommy Duncan. I knew he was the one for me. We got clean and got our own place. I found out I was pregnant and on June 27, 2006, Dylan Duncan was born. Seems like right after that, I was pregnant again and on January 23, 2008, Dagan Duncan was born. Tommy tore his ACL at work and stayed home with the boys and drew workman's comp. Then I went right back to Western Sizzling waitressing. We both started using again. Tommy had surgery and with all the stress, hustle and bustle of work, babies, surgery and drug use, we separated. I started dating a man who was diabetic and was introduced to IV drug use. For the next five years, I became a dark and sick person. I used drugs, sold drugs, and made drugs. I robbed people's homes and cars. I took my babies to places they shouldn't be and left them with people they shouldn't have been with. I was miserable and covered with guilt and shame. I couldn't get away from the lifestyle or the drugs, so one day I dropped down in the corner of my house and I begged God for, to help me. I went to HDRS for 33 days and stayed clean for a little bit, and on December 28, 2012, Tommy and I got married. Unfortunately, I didn't stay clean long, and the disease of addiction returned. I finally went to the doctor for my back and was scheduled to have surgery on October 16, 2014. I was arrested on October 7, but was released on the 14th to have surgery. I thank God for that week in jail so that I could sober up for surgery, because if I would have been out and showed up in the condition I was normally in, I don't think they would have even performed the surgery. After surgery, I was put on house arrest at my mom's and did well for about two months, but I went right back to drugs. On January the 15th, I was arrested again. I had no bond and several felonies. My mom brought me a Bible and I started to read it. I couldn't understand why God wouldn't deliver me from my addiction. I prayed and prayed for God's help. On March 25th, I was released to go to yet another rehab. On March 29th, I was dropped off at John 317. The only reason I went was because it helped my cousin and to stop me from going to prison. I met 14 girls that were all struggling with the same thing I was struggling with. I was greeted with a smile and hugs from the whole community of Rimmel Church of Christ. We read the Bible, studied the Bible, attended church three times a week, and attended two celebrate recoveries in Jonesboro and one in Batesville. The only reason I stayed at John 317 is because I saw healing and happiness in the other girls and because I wanted to be delivered for my drug addiction. Surprisingly, I fell in love with the deliverer, Jesus Christ. On April the 8th, 2015, I was baptized. I was washed clean of all the terrible things I'd ever done. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is there. God set a fire down in my soul, and for once it wasn't for drugs. I was on fire for God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who loved me enough to just forget and forgive me for all the bad things I'd done and to give me yet another chance. My life is far from perfect, but God opened my eyes. Now I'm not blinded by the devil and all his lies and drugs and sin. I promise myself to be strong and to not let anything disturb my peace of mind. I talk health, happiness, and prosperity to the people I see. I look at the sunny side of things, and I'm optimistic. 
I've forgotten the mistakes of the past and I press on to become greater and to achieve greater things in my future. I try to give most of my time to improving myself so that I have no time to criticize others. I strive to be too large for worry, too noble for anger, too strong for fear, and too happy for trouble. I die to myself daily and I let God lead my life and ask him to use me in many ways, in as many ways as he can. Without suffering, true happiness is not understood. I'm thankful for where I've been and what I've done because it brought me to where I am and who I am today. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And I believe that. I found out that I busted screws in my back, and so I left John 3:17 and had a second back surgery on July 13th. My surgery went well, and I'm back at my mom's. I've been clean and sober for nine months, and I even quit smoking cigarettes. I'm so glad God turned my mess into a message. Thanks for letting me share. So that takes a lot of courage to share your story. And it's a story that's not over yet. And uh, God has become your deliverer. And it sounds like to me that you knew a lot about God through your whole life. But now it sounds like to me that he's your friend. And sounds like to me that you talk to him every day mm-hmm. like a friend would talk to each other we call it prayer um, and God in his amazing way that only he can do can take our trouble and what we call a mess and do exactly what you said and turn it into a message that is awesome so Danielle I'm going to pray for you as you head back down um, but your friends that you shared with today they're going to be praying too so would y'all join me in a prayer God I am so very thankful that you do not give up on us that you pursue us into those very dark places that we sometimes create and we're thankful Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for not giving up on us. And thank you for giving us a bright hope and a bright future. Even from the ashes that sometimes we create. Thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So spiritual healing will not begin in our lives until the desire to get free is bigger than our spiritual disability. Because God has the potential and the power and the desire to turn our misery into our greatest ministry. So he tells Jesus, nobody will help me into the water. And Jesus told him in verse 8, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Verse 9, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking. He said, nobody will help me in. And Jesus said, well, stand up. 
do something. Jesus essentially said, I, I, and this is our bottom line, I don't want to hear your excuse. I want to see your faith, so do something. I don't want to hear another excuse. I want to see your faith. Do something. I, maybe for you it's to throw away the cigarette. I don't know. To do something. Tell your small group about it. Call someone and set up counseling. Friends, listen. If, if some small tweak or adjustment would have worked in your life, you would have already done it. It's not going to take a small tweak or just a slight adjustment. It's probably going to take something big to get you free. And it's probably going to cost you something. You're going to have to admit that you can't do this on your own. That you can't manage this any longer. As long as you think that you're managing it, you won't beat it. It will keep beating you down and eventually it will take everything from you. It sounds like Jesus is telling this guy, I'm not going to carry you. You have to do something. Get up and walk. And I believe for us, he asks us this, do you really? Do, do you really? Do you really want to get free? Yes. Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I, I want to get free. And my friends, Jesus will do his part. Now, do yours. Jesus says, I don't want to hear your excuses. I want to see your faith. Do something. This morning for a next step, we don't have a letter for you to check or circle. We just I have a series of just some suggestions, some things maybe that you need to do. And here's the first one. I'm just going to suggest every single one of us needs to join a small group. That needs to be part of us walking away from, getting free from our problems. Every one of us needs to be in a small group. Some of us need to specifically join the recovery group that meets on Wednesdays at 8. Some of us specifically need to make a point of being in the recovery group and admitting, I can't do this on my own. Some of us need a recovery facility like Danielle was talking about. For men, there's one called John 3.16. For ladies, there's one called John 3.17. Some of us need to schedule an appointment this week with a counselor. Some of us, your spouse has been begging you to go with them to a counselor, but you've refused. You've said, I, I don't think I need, I'm managing this okay. But the very fact that your spouse is asking you to go with you to a counselor, to go with them, is them saying, you are not managing this okay. I am not managing this okay. I'm drowning here. Let's get help. 
Maybe the step for you is admitting that you can't manage this problem any longer and you need help. Listen, my friends, I have not been reading your mail and people have not been reading your mail to me. This has been prepared for quite a while. I want you to understand. Parts of this have stung my life the way it may be stinging you right now. Maybe you don't know what next step it is maybe that you need to take. I, maybe, I can, maybe I can help you identify something. You can text me. The phone number that was on the screen earlier today, that's me. You can text me or you can private message me on Facebook. And maybe if you're not sure what step you can take, maybe I can just help point you in a right direction. But it's going to be something that you have to do. God doesn't want your excuses. He wants to see your faith. Please, we're begging you this morning, do something. Take a step this morning. Maybe for the first time you're realizing that you can't do this on your own. And we're telling you this, that Jesus died on the cross for you. And three days later, he rose again for real. I believe this. And if you want Jesus to help you, it is going to be critical that you come to the place in your life that you believe that, that he died for you. And three days later, he rose again. Maybe for the first time you're saying, you know what, Harley, I, I don't understand it all. And I've been checking it out and investigating it. But you know what? I, I do believe that. And if for the first time you're saying you believe that, then because he died for you and he shed his blood for you, then that means that was the payment. A purchase was made with his blood. And do you know what he purchased? He's purchased your life. And if we believe that he really did that, that he died and three days later he rose again, then that means we are compelled to say, then Jesus, either yes you have purchased my life and I give it to you. Or we say, no, thanks, but no. And maybe this morning you're saying, Jesus, yes. You died for me, I believe it. Three days later you rose again, yeah, I believe that. And you have purchased my life. So at this very moment I'm saying yes to you. You can have this life, I give it to you. And if you're saying that for the first time this morning, then on the back of your connection card, there's a place for you to let me know that. It says yes, for the first time I'm really choosing to become a follower of Jesus. That's what that means. That you're saying, yes, Jesus, this life now belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. And if you're doing that now for the first time, let me know that. And for all of us this morning, God doesn't want our excuses. He wants to see our faith. And I am asking you then, please do something. Will you do something this week? Take a step with Jesus this week. Let's pray. God, when you saw this man on the porch, you knew that he had been ill for a long time. And God, you know, you know our lives and you know the problems that we have been hiding from everyone around us and managing as best we can. You know, you see it. And God, may we be willing to admit to you, I can't 
manage it any longer. And Jesus, as you looked at this man and said, would you like to get well? You look at us right now and you're asking, really, do you really want to get well? And many of us this morning are saying a resounding yes, I'm ready to do something because I can't manage this any longer. And Jesus, we ask that you would help us see and understand a step we need to take this week with you. And we're so grateful that you have not given up on us, that you have reached into the dark places that we find ourselves hurting, and you are drawing us out towards you, Jesus, the light. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.